Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew and I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy week to listen here and we hope that the insights in this podcast help you continue to move your agency forward wherever you are. If you're just thinking about getting an agency off the ground, if you're getting traction at a, a kind of a young agency with your eyes set on the stars and trying to move things forward, or you've got an established agency and you're trying to hone your processes and see some inspiration from some other folks. We hope, we hope that you find it here. And this week, we've got an awesome guest, Gray and Keith from Fanit up in the Seattle area, chat about all things inbound agencies, inbound sales, and some really, really cool conversations. So without further ado, folks, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm very excited today to bring on Keith from Fanit up in the Seattle area. Keith, how you doing, man? Doing great, Gray. Thank you for having me on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Keith, you know what? I almost always ask guests ahead of time and forgot to today. Pronunciation on the last name. So I'm I'm like 99.99% <laughs> sure because I asked you when we met that right. it, whether it was Enix or not. Yes. And I think you it got is. It. Yeah, you got it. It's like Phoenix, but, you know, Enix. Yeah, so, there it is. And you're one of many who usually has to ask that on the first, so no problem. No what, problem. What uh, a... What yeah. are the most? I assume that people would say like Enix. But yes. Yeah. Is have you heard any other funny ones? Um, you know, I was a little bit. It's not very different, but I'll hear people say Enix or Enix, you know, mm-hmm. and say Enix. You know, it's a, it's no big deal though. Interestingly, the last name came originally from the name Enoch. Yep. Back in the day, and then it kind of changed. You know, there was some. Uh, changes, of course, when people came over here to the states and all that. So, yep. yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that we got the last name straightened out <laughs> right. for everyone. Um, why don't you give us just a little bit of background on Fanit and kind of your story? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll just nutshell here. And uh, so, basically, I started off actually in print marketing back in 2009. Uh, everybody saw themselves in this um, economy difficulty thing. I had just gotten out of college in um, 2008, got married, you know, and I I had actually quit my job, uh, uh, I shouldn't say a well-paying, but a consistent job, which was great at the time, and decided to go into print marketing. Literally the day of, I found out my wife was pregnant with her first child when I got home. Kind of funny how that works. But um, yeah, I did print marketing and learned that's that's really where I got my experience at with small business marketing for uh, really about a year. Um, I would publish a little coupon magazine to about 30,000 people every three months here in a couple city local areas. And so I would get a lot of experience back and forth with business owners, what they were feeling, especially during that downturn. Saw a lot of businesses come and go and some – uh, real big pain points with business owners across the board is trying to figure out this whole digital thing, which was still fairly new at the time. 
uh, to a lot of business owners. It, it might still feel fairly new to um, some of the listeners out there today too. But um, you know, digital marketing is just kind of the the wild west, and I, I would say here in the Seattle area, there's just quite a big interest in it as well because of our tech economy here. And so um, we still had kind of this weird limbo thing happening between yellow pages and decks and digital marketing, which they're still trying to span the um, broken bridge really between the print marketing that they offered and the, the digital experiences they're now offering to customers. But I found that my customers were having a big problem with trying to figure out what the return on investment was from print, from, not from print, but from the digital. Uh, from print, I could give them just a stack of returns that they had gotten you know, from their customers in a, in a three-month run that, that showed them their return on investment. So it was fairly clear. Obviously, there are other ways that they were getting return on investment they couldn't see from the, the branding and such. But I was mainly focused on just what they were getting in direct response from that. So I was really, it was really imperative to me that my customers had a good return. So what I realized, though, was that these customers were spending an average of about $100 a month with me. And they were spending an average of 500 to $1,000 a month with their digital presence with Yellow Pages decks and some others. And so... Um, I decided, hey, you know, let's let's do a little bit of a deep dive with some of these clients of mine and ask them how much they're getting in return off of these services. And surprisingly, uh, most of them had no clue what they were getting in services, and they didn't know what kind of return on investment they were getting either. You know, I think part of it was they'd always call it the happy meal of marketing and uh, – they would be sold on this happy meal and they weren't quite sure how much of that was digital and how much of that was print. So, uh, because of that, my brother and I, Neil Enix, uh, we, we started Fanit marketing services. I think we bought our domain around October, 2010 or something like that. And we started asking these customers if they wanted to get a, better return on their digital marketing spend with, uh, with us doing websites. I started uh, really getting into SEO, search engine optimization, local search engine optimization, and kind of really cut my teeth on that. And we kind of scaled up there to about 17 clients I was managing myself uh, with my brother, which uh, any of you who are listening who have an inbound agency, you know, managing 17 clients by yourself that are small business clients with very low sophistication when it comes to their understanding of marketing is not the easiest thing in the world. So um, we started making a pivot about 2013 and uh, we started learning more about other means of marketing. We got into content marketing, started developing out our content marketing team, uh, just so happened to land some pretty sophisticated clients uh, from some referrals for more content marketing mixed in with SEO. And then it was about 2014 that we were introduced to inbound marketing and HubSpot, and we decided to be, become a HubSpot um, agency, which just entirely drastically changed the way we looked at all of digital marketing. Um, also, just being an accountability partner, uh, not just in in marketing, but also and business building, it's it's been the biggest impact to our business and bottom line that we've seen yet. Um, of course, in, in hiring and 
continuing to grow a, a bigger team here and, and improve clients and such and all those things that HubSpot helps with and recommends. So uh, we got a chance to go to actually Inbound. Saw you guys over there, which yeah. was awesome. Uh, this last year took our whole team. And, you know, that was just kind of the next level for us. We're excited to go again this next year. But that kind of gives a little bit of an overview of where we've come and kind of where we sit today a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, thanks for the rundown. So when you guys started to pivot in 2013 towards content, who yeah. were – so you're kind of in Ma's territory, but who were, <laughs> yes, the, who were the big influencers on that move? Yeah. Um, you know, SEO had such a big change when Penguin came out um, in 2013, the 2.0, yep. of course. Um, just totally wrecked the entire SERPs for an entire year as they decided to not update Penguin at all. That was a dark year. That was like the dark age year for SEO uh, where a lot of businesses lost um, – lost presence within the SERPs. Yep. Um, and of course, you not only had Penguin, but you also had a lot of new things happening on Panda, which just changed everything. So uh, we decided to take a little bit different approach because we were taking a really uh, automated link building um, sy system that we had, which everybody was doing that. Um, even the big guys, you know, they were using automated links, even though Moz said not to do it. But what we realized was, um, resources-wise, it's difficult for small businesses with little resources to have quality. And, you know, I think Moz is awesome. But Moz um, really caters towards the big guys. It's difficult to scale um, any sort of SEO campaign when you're – uh, with content when you're dealing with a budget of 500 to a thousand dollars a month yep it's just difficult uh, if you're writing really at that point you're not you're not doing very much SEO you're doing a little bit but let's just say you're a plumber or you're an attorney um, you know you're uh, you're in a very competitive local space and you've got other SEOs who are using black hat tactics, gray hat tactics, and any kind of tactic they can to get clients ranked, it's very unlikely that if you're not gaming the SERPs that you're going to take those people over with your one or two pieces of content a month. So that's what kind of was happening in the SERPs what, before the updates. And then after the updates, everybody sort of got wrecked. And Google has made some really good updates when it comes to um, how how you can't game the SERPs as much, um, how you have to focus on higher quality when it comes to content um, and the amount of uh, links you have and all those things. So coming back to who actually was my heroes, you know, obviously Moz is – uh, a big one. I did a lot of reading in Moz. I would say I cut my teeth on SEO with, with Moz, um, uh, Rant Bishkin and and Cyrus Shepherd. You know, yep. I love Cyrus Shepherd. I just I love his stuff. And uh, there's an, another company, Ian Laurie with Portent, who's also here in the Seattle area, who's mm -hmm. really big in the SEO. I, I read a lot of their content as well. Um, some pretty big heroes to me. But, you know, I have to say, too, that I, I don't just look at the white hat side. Um, I also look to see what the heroes on the black and gray hat side are doing as well. Because 
as an SEO, you have to understand what's going on across the board. What I find is the white hatters tend to focus on, hey, content, this is what's working, only do this, only do that. Um, what the black hatters focus on is what is actually getting results that day and what is actually going to give you the best results really fast, which is a short-term SEO a type of methodology. I don't, I don't agree with a short-term SEO methodology where um, you see a lot of these SEOs getting clients for six months churning and burning them, uh, meaning that they're signing six to 12-month contracts, burning their domains with bad SEO, getting them ranked fast, but then they drop out of the SERPs after six to 12 months. That's not good. But it does give you an idea on both sides of what's actually happening in Google. So uh, I, I just wanted to point that out because there is some good information happening on both sides. Um, there is a middle ground in there that makes it work for Google. Uh, but that's purely from an SEO side. Um, Content-wise, it's an interesting. It is it is an interesting environment because um, we are seeing some things across the board where you know you'll you'll see um, articles talk. Well, what's the what's the best length article? You know, and maybe you'll you'll read some blog posts or articles out there that talk about. Uh, uh, well, you know, you should do 500, 800 words or. Or whatever. Uh, you'll you'll see a lot of articles on Moz kind of discussing this too. Uh, the two thousand word mark. He'll, he'll, he, of course, Neil Patel, you know, talks about that as well. Uh, two thousand word mark. But the interesting thing is what we're seeing is Google is catering heavily towards really long content on one page that's carefully crafted around the th- keyword theme you're going for. Where before, we might, back in pre-2013, 12, um, you might just put up a ton of pages to rank for maybe three different keywords on that page. Uh, Now, actually, it seems like Google's eating up pages that have really long content on them and and is rewarding the site very well for that, um, even without backlinks coming into that page, which is, which is just very interesting. So anyway, that, um, is a little bit of where we're at, you know, SEO and some of the, some of the way I've been impacted by the community out there right now. Yeah. I think you make a good point about having the importance of paying attention to both sides and not just eating up everything that, uh, yeah, yeah, that that Moz and HubSpot and the people who have to say things tell you. It's funny because they have huge communities. They've got people who just totally buy into what they're saying without actually doing it themselves and testing. And I just love it because I'm testing it. I'm figuring it out. And I look at what these guys say on some of the comments, you know, on some of these blog posts. Um, of course, the, the best is SEO is dead uh, type yep. of posts, which garner so many backlinks and link bait and everything like that. And they rank so well. <laughs> um, but it's great because the real the real people who are really figuring out SEO are the ones who are testing it and and in essence doing a little bit of a gaming of the system because they're figuring out what actually makes Google tick. The people who are out there just saying, oh, do this and maybe you'll get ranked, well, they're not helping anybody out except to say, hey, 
you know, there's a good direction to go here and we want to go for quality, which is what Google wants to go for. You know, we, we understand that. But it is good to know what actually makes Google tick, what makes the search engines move forward organically, what type of stuff you do, you know. Yep. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's uh, – I've got a couple questions just about the agency. So um, I think it's helpful to get a feel for the journey and the last five, six years now at sure. Bannett. What, uh, what does the team look like right now? Uh, who's on it? Kind of how many people are on it? You guys are remote, local. Uh, what's the deal there? Yeah, we're all actually local here. Um, we Most of our clients are local. Our our team actually primarily consists of content people. Um, we've we've actually scaled back a lot on our SEO side because we we actually want to focus heavier on um, in inbound experts who are working with not just content but how that content fits into a, an actual strategy, a digital strategy to get more lead opportunities through the door for our clients' uh, sales teams or you know, depending upon if they're B2B or B2C in the nurturing process and they're uh, being involved in the nurturing process within HubSpot and stuff um, on that. We have specifically uh, uh, Neil, actually, who works very closely with clients on the nurturing processes for sales. Um, and uh, we have a PPC guy, actually, in-house as well. Uh, he, he does PPC analytics and a little bit of web development. I wouldn't say our 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 big strong suite isn't web developments. That's not where we focus primarily. Our our big primary focus is is actually more on analytics, um, conversion rate optimization, and how that affects uh, traffic coming in, and of course the sending of traffic to clients' websites. Um, we do do web design, but it's kind of born out of the first primary goal, which is to figure out if something is converting well. Uh, by sending traffic to that page, so that's kind of how we how we focus with most of our clients. Yep. Yeah. Makes yep. sense. Yep. So <laughs> one of the, one of the things we like to dig into too uh, is just kind of like what is one story from a client uh, recently, one of those client relationships where you've had a victory, kind of your opportunity to brag here on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know it's funny. I just got off the phone with a client. He um, he owns a moving company in this area, and we've we've been working with him now for a few years. And he, when he started off, he was he was still trying to get to that million dollar mark. He was you know he was around eight hundred thousand dollars, and um, we've we've been able to consistently. Um, Increase traffic as well as uh, lead opportunities to him. Now this is a short short sales cycle, so you know leads close probably within about a few days after they call. So it's it's very short. Um, but we've been able to increase his lead volume, and so he can predictably get more trucks. Um, although his problem right now is he's trying to figure out how to get more hires through the door, which is a good problem to have. He has plenty of leads. He just is trying to figure out how to get more high quality hires. So, you know, he's gonna he's on his way to do two million dollars this year, uh, which which is um, which is really good after two years um, and being able to predictably uh, grow that with us. So, uh, I would also say too in the in the industry of um, 
B, B to C, we have another one that I, I love to talk about because he started off from basically nothing. Um, he came to us with some experience in the tree service industry, and he wanted to launch his business. And so in two years as well, we've, ta- we've taken him from zero revenue to, uh, well, this year, last year he did 760. This year he's on his way to do a million. So um, it's all, also great great little journey with him yeah that's awesome yeah. so what was yeah. uh in that journey because this has happened i mean i've been in that situation with uh folks who come to you and say like listen i'm just trying to get this idea off the ground <laughs> what was uh yeah. what was your advice in that situation because i i think yeah. that uh you know there's some people who say yeah definitely you might as well go ahead and mm-hmm. go for the online stuff first other people say work the network and whatever else so what what was yeah. the approach there well, we so before before really working with customers, there's there's I like to talk about the three things you have to have in business. There's um there's really three there's four stages in business. You have your startup, and then you have your bolt-on phase, and then you have your uh, growth phase, and then you have your exit phase. And really, that second stage has to be in place, which um, your bolt-ons have to be in place to really enter that growth, that growth phase that every business owner wants to get into. Um, and the three bolt-ons you have to have are your financials, your um, sales has to be in place, and then your marketing. And it really is in that order. Um, if you try to bolt on marketing first without knowing what your financials are, by the way, financials aren't just I've got my bookkeeper. It's actually understanding who your target demographic is and the product you provide and what pain points are hitting them so that you can provide proper sales pitch to them that actually solves their pain points. Um, Now you actually have a marketing message at that point. But the problem is a lot of business owners come in and they say, hey, I've got a problem. Um, I need to fix my business and I need marketing to do it. But we start digging into their business and we find out actually you don't know your financials. You don't have a system in place. Uh, you don't really have a sales pitch. And you're, you're not willing to go out and do the hard thing uh, when leads come in to chase them. Um, so let's talk about doing that first. You know, <laughs> um, I think the reason why specifically this tree service guy did so well was because of the fact that he um, had such a, such a good – background of a system because uh, he, he actually managed another tree service company for 15 years. So he came into this with really a good understanding of what his financial bolt-on and sales bolt-on needed to look like. Um, from there, he was just able to attach on the marketing side and we were able to drive leads into that healthy system and then the leads were converted into sales. So um, that that's the, our approach towards business owners, especially when they're they're first starting B to C and B to B as well. Um, of course, one of the most difficult things in B to B when you're scaling is is just the fact that instead of dealing with a short closing cycle, you're dealing with a long closing cycle, which uh, makes that sales bolt on that much more difficult. It requires a lot more resources for that sales bolt on than a B to C. Right, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, what are the, I'm just curious to know, kind of sticking with this uh, tree service company, because this is, I'm just trying to think through this kind of in my own head, but what are the ways that you are, I guess, what are the, 
conversion points where you're generating these leads? Are they coming through contact forms? Are they downloading offers? Or what is that? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so as far as the nurturing process, not not a ton of nurturing happening for our B2C clients. Um, a lot of them are downloading uh, – if they are downloading anything – it's it's a very quick download, get some information, and then convert kind of thing. There's a very short window for conversion with these with these with the B to C clients that we have. I think the longest one is about a week. So <laughs> um, between download and outreach, there really isn't that much um, nurturing going on with these types of clients. But um, it's it is an aspect of the buyer's journey, of course, as we all know. Um, reading a download like, you know, what to expect when, you know, your tree service comes out is, is going to help that buyer be more comfortable and fill out that contact form. So we find that most people are just filling out the contact forms. Yep. That makes sense. So, and the, obviously the whole like inbound sales side of things and inbound sales and sales enablement services is a very rapidly growing, uh, (laughs) part of the market for HubSpot uh, yeah. partners, which before it was called sales enablement was called common sense. But um, <laughs> how do you guys, like, are, are you getting engaged? Obviously, if you're addressing the bolt-ons here and making sure that they have some kind of sales engine in place, yeah. are you taking them through a process? Are you selling that service? Or is that like, hey, do you have this in place? Are you actually going to follow up with these leads? What does that look like for you guys working with clients? You know, it's funny. I don't know if we're growing with inbound uh, HubSpot specifically, or if HubSpot is growing with the small businesses, I, I don't know what happened here. But when we when we signed up for HubSpot a few years ago, it it really seemed like, hey guys, go do some content for your clients, and you know, it's it's going to happen. Like you're going to drive leads to the bottom of the funnel, and they're going to convert them. Um, that's kind of what it sounded like. Now, with the experience that I have, some of the verbiage that I remember back then. It kind of makes a lot more sense. Um, the passing off of the MQLs and the SQLs, of course, um, with content. But the thing is, it still sounded like that all happens with content. The big problem with business owners who are, let's just say, million dollars to uh, five, five million dollars, is that they just don't have a lot of resources for their sales team. And so we'll come in and they just have a broken sales process and it's a B2B business and we drive leads. We hear this over and over again. Um, I've talked to other agencies who have the same exact problem. Um, Maybe people are listening are like, yes, that's me too. I have these small B2B clients with long closing cycles. I'm doing content. I'm like killing it. We're driving leads for them, but they don't close them. And they don't have a process in place for actually nurturing those leads and reaching out because it's not just about uh, the inbound leads that are coming in that are actually filling out forms even, but it's about nurturing the good personas that are landing on your website and, and reading articles and such. There's a lot of outreach opportunity that can be done where people are warmed up, they know about your brand, and you can have a BDR reach out to them. So – we're we're not advanced in our sales enablement in the sense of actually providing services to our clients. 
But as far as actually training them on what they need in-house to make that happen, um, we, we can help them on that. Uh, the, the problem is it's quickly turning into one of those things where the reason why they outsourced for marketing is because they're, um, they're getting better resources, they're saving money, um, and they're, they're getting expert service. Um, they're wanting the same exact thing for the sales side too. They want to outsource that. (laughs) So, um, it's one of those things where we're kind of, we're in process of really two, two things we can consider. And that is either we stop closing small companies that don't have sales resources, um, or, you know, everybody thinks they have sales resources. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm the business owner. I can close sales. Yeah, just give me bottom of the funnel sales. Okay, well, let's talk about your nurturing process. And then we talk with them about it, and, and they're like, oh, there's no way I can do this. <laughs> can you guys do this for me? Yeah. <laughs> um, so either we stop closing those or um, we get the resources in-house to help these um, smaller, longer closing cycle clients um, or we just close larger clients that actually have sales teams. But I will say, even in that case, with the larger sales teams, we've had to train them on, on how to actually mine digital leads because there's a difference. You know, maybe a lot of them might be mining leads from trade shows they're going to, referrals that are coming in, and such like that. But they don't understand what it means to actually mine digital. It's just a different style, and. Um, HubSpot's coming out with some great stuff. Is you know they've they've got that sales uh, certification now uh, that really helps a ton with inbound agencies. But that's gold stuff for um, any business that yeah. wants to actually mine digital properly. So getting sales certified is is awesome. Yeah, I think that's a huge deal. Obviously, becoming yeah. it's finally coming to the forefront that. It is it, almost every single agency out there has either struggled with this or has come up with a solution for this, but you can't just yeah. the, the, the organizations out there who all they really need is just MQLs are, are very few and far between because so few people have any type of system in place and have any yeah. experience working with the new leads. So totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so fun stuff. Uh, I love the success stories the tree services example is awesome. Let's go to the flip side of this though. And I'm curious to know at Fanit right now, what are maybe the one or two major areas uh, that are areas you'd like to improve here in the you know second half of 2016? What are, what are some of the things that you're struggling with right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that we're definitely in that struggle of breaking through um, – for for our clients, what we we are going to do for these smaller, longer close uh, closing cycle type clients, um, it it is it is difficult for us entering the marketing game to come to these clients and say, "Hey, yeah, we'll provide you marketing, and it sounds great and all this kind of stuff." But what? we're just realizing is it's going to be impossible to close these people without actually having a sales bolt on available for them too. So in 2016, we're hoping to define that much more and have something in place for our clients that they can utilize in 2017. 
Um, I'm curious to see what inbound's going to have to say about this. I'm sure this is a this is a tough topic <laughs> for everybody. Um, they sort of touched on it this last year, um, but you know it was it was kind of not really gone into deeply. So uh, looking forward to to seeing what might happen here this this coming inbound on that. So that's a big one. Um, we, <laughs> you know what, like earlier I was saying, we're great at sending leads. I mean, we can send tons of leads. We, we can send leads via social prospecting, um, via pay-per-click AdWords. Um, we're, we're great at sending leads. It's just, uh, you know, once again, this nurturing cycle, the BDR process that needs to be, uh, mining lead digital leads specifically for these long closing cycle clients. Um, we're going to need to get better at improving that and defining that for, um, our smaller, smaller level clients. So, and there's a big, there's a big group of people, businesses, obviously, that need that type of service. So we would love to be able to be of help to them. Uh, it isn't necessarily a low level of sophistication. It's uh, in the sense of it's not the type of business owner we really want to work with. We we like working with a lot of our smaller um, clients in that area. We we just want to see that. Um, them be able to grow and improve on the leads we're sending them with that correct sales process in place. Right. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Keith, uh, feel free to um, answer or not answer this question, but I'm curious. To know, <laughs> I think that it might be helpful yeah. for folks because this is one of the things that comes up yeah. uh, nonstop when talking to agencies through our work at Do Inbound. But when you're talking about small, uh, kind of small clients, what does maybe like a small end, uh, and I don't know, I would assume that you guys are doing monthly partnerships or retainers with clients, but yeah. maybe not. What's like on the small end compared to like what, what is a big client for you guys? Um, so a smaller end client is going to start off with us $2,500 a month and above uh, to about 5000 Yep. ish um, You know, we, we've, we feel a lot more serious about uh, the the next step with them when they're they're with us on a about seventy five hundred to sixteen seventeen thousand a month somewhere in there, um, but we haven't broke through that sixteen seventeen thousand dollar mark yet. So we're still trying to land clients at a at a higher mark on that. Um, but you know when I went to inbound, it didn't seem like that was a that's kind of every all these inbound agencies are kind of growing together. I think. Um, I think the largest one that I saw at Inbound was doing about seven million a year, something like that. Yeah. So, and just learning about even the next level above that. Okay, so how do we get to that next level? And they were talking about creative and stuff, and how inbound agencies can get into creative to grow even bigger. So, um, we're we're still in that uh, <laughs> you know smaller inbound agency level. You know, we're we're on track to. Probably nine hundred to a million dollars this year, so um, you know we're still fairly small ourselves. Working, st- still working things out. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it, it's yeah. a huge growth path, and I think uh, and appreciate you sharing uh, numbers. But I think so many agencies. I mean, that's. Uh, pretty typical for a lot of agencies to start at the two thousand twenty five hundred three thousand dollar mark. Yeah, the there's a pain point some, or something like that with these with these types of clients, and. You know, one of the things that we did, which has revolutionized, of course, even our own sales processes, is um, we came up 
of course, you know, get sales certified and stuff and then apply everything. But, you know, part of that within the sales certification was uh, really getting really detailed on what we wanted in our lead scoring matrix because what we found out was it's actually not as much revenue as it is a quality client that you want because you can scale them. And, you know, we've had many clients come in, opportunities come in that were, you know, just great on the revenue side and uh, very low on the management sophistication and marketing sophistication and sales sophistication side. You know, it's, they grew their business from a fluke and they were in trouble and they were trying to hail marry it, you know, to the next level. That That's not a good client. Um, now that's probably on the opposite extreme, you know, but um, you kind of find little sense of that with uh, different clients that come in. And we of course deal with that mostly with the, uh, with the business owner who's kind of doing everything still, who doesn't have a, a, any sort of in-house marketing yep. uh, people or in-house salespeople. So for us to deal with, to get that triangulation to occur. Right. But well, that, I was just going to say that's exactly right. And I think that's a point worth underscoring about 87 times. It's just <laughs> the, the quality of the client matters so much more than the client budget because you're absolutely right. If the right pieces are in place, yeah. you're a huge part of the growth engine. You have the ability to scale that and to scale that marketing yeah. budget. If the pieces huge, aren't in place. It is huge. Yep. Yeah, and it's a huge part of your sanity. I'll just throw it out there. You know, quality of life, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't lived very long, but I finally figured out that quality of life is better than money. So. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that that applies to clients. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But, yeah. Well, I have a couple other quick questions here, yeah. and then we'll wrap up. One is on the tool side. Obviously, everybody wants to know what tools everyone's using. Do you have any favorite tools that uh, yeah. maybe not all agencies are using or you think might might surprise people? Uh, yes, I think so, because the more I talk about it with other agencies or um, businesses, I don't know if they're actually using it, but we use CallRail. I just want to throw that out there. Yep. Um, it. I don't know if you guys use it, but um, I, I, I'm kind of surprised at how many agencies have never heard of it. Uh, but I just want to throw it out there. I love CallRail. I love everything they do. They're amazing. Um, <laughs> our ability to track and report what what our clients are getting on their calls, it's just incredible. So CallRail is amazing. Also, one of the ways we've recently utilized CallRail is it's so easy to just spin up tracking numbers for their Yelp campaigns and such as well and to track what those are actually bringing in. It's just it's just awesome. Um, CallRail is fantastic. Um, as far as internal management, you know, it, we don't have anything that surprises anybody. We, we use Basecamp. We can't get off of it. You know, it's kind of one of those things that we hate but we love at the same time. Yep. Um, our team has definitely grown out of Basecamp. Um, to one degree, uh, it's, it's just, you know, the visibility factor on everything, uh, is, is not really that great, but it is, it is working for us as far as client communication side and, and getting, getting the basics done, but we're definitely, uh, definitely going to have to improve that. Um, I'm sure everybody out there has heard of Trello. Um, so, you know, 
probably not much needs to be said there. But we have tried to use Trello a little bit for some mm-hmm. of that more defined organization internally, and it's you know it's 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 been okay. But we we keep on going back to Basecamp. So um, nothing nothing real serious. Uh, you know, Wufu forms, call real, uh, Basecamp. Yep. <laughs> you know, nice. Probably some probably some pretty classic big classics in there i just didn't know about call real if people had heard of it right no i think i think you're right i think uh i feel like there was a push uh where a bunch of people were talking a lot about uh call tracking probably Mm -hmm. about a year ago and i've not heard a whole bunch of uh of conversation about it so i i'm curious to know whether that's is everyone using it so we don't talk about it or or is that vastly (laughs) underutilized um so that's awesome that's a great great recommendation yeah yeah uh, last question here. This one's the the most personal question. I'm curious to know, as a husband, as a dad with four kids, dad of a five month old, what does the typical morning for you look like? Yeah, um, and you can address this. This is meant to be. This is kind of a spinoff yeah. of. Uh, Tim sure. Ferriss asked this question a lot on his podcast what the first 60 minutes of your day look like and he took it for someone else I'm sure it's come from a bunch of places <laughs> but you can take this yeah. either as uh, either as like uh, here's my first 60 minutes 30 minutes or longer than that whatever whatever it takes but we're curious in knowing like what goes into what are the foundations to a successful day for you yeah, you know, I think the foundation success. I've, you know, I'm a Christian, so I I take an approach towards positive life, um, being in alignment with God's will for myself and my family, and so right off the bat in the mornings, I try to align my thinking with um, that positive line of thinking. You know, I'll, I'll do some meditation and reading. Um, right off the bat, just consistent disciplines and and wake up at the same time every day. You know that's that's what I learned from my dad. Um, just wake up on the same time and uh, you know early, of course, and um, get those things in place. That's that's the alignment for how you think about the day. And um, as as I get older, that that discipline just becomes more and more obvious that. If you want to be successful, if you want to keep yourself in line and away from um, distractions that can come up in life that just really aren't important, especially uh, just from a practical level to your professional success, you've got to start off right in the morning with a good calibration. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I start off with that. You know, I heard a guy once, uh, I was I was actually interviewing on a podcast, you know, he, he, was, he told me, he was like, you know... It's kind of like that illustration and on the plane when they say, all right, you know, if, if we start losing cabin pressure, these masks are going to come down. And by the way, put yours on first and then put the other people's on next to you. Um, that's, that's kind of how I view it. It's, it's like for me, okay, I've got uh, – today I've got to manage and lead my family. I've got to manage and lead employees. And uh, to do that, I need to put my mask on first. So – uh, do that, you know, I've got a vitamin regimen and breakfast, you know, I basically eat oatmeal every morning and a cup of coffee. Um, I think those disciplines are, are important because it's just that repetitious thing you do every day um, before you leave. And uh, that keeps your attitude positive 
uh, keeps your family positive. I, I, I make sure my brother and I, we kind of keep each other accountable on making sure we're blessing our family before we leave in the morning, just saying a simple blessing on them, uh, a positive encouragement to them uh, before leaving for the day. And that, that makes all the difference. Uh, there's so much negativity in this world. It's, uh, it's easy to get caught up in it um, if you're not focused on positivity. Uh, the interesting thing is when you're focused on positivity, those negative things just kind of don't seem as obvious anymore. So um, anyway, that, that's kind of that's how we focus or I focus on that, on that uh, first part of my day every day. So kind of an f- interesting question. <laughs> nice. No, I think you're yeah. absolutely right that we can definitely cultivate our sensitivities. Um, so I have two kind of quick random follow-up questions. One yeah. is when you're reading um, when you're reading the Bible in the morning or if it's a devotional, are you reading uh, in a, a physical book or through an app on your phone or iPad or whatever? <laughs> I read through an app. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Nice. Yeah. Sec- Although – Go I have ahead. to say, I kind of feel a little guilty sometimes about that because there's just something about the physical, you know, thing there. You know, that's just. I but, I totally agree with you, and I don't. We, I don't our, our, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was just thinking, you know, we're, as millennials, you know, we kind of bridged the gap between before, you know, we knew when there wasn't that there. You know, of course, right. it, yet at the same time, we're very digitally inclined. Yep. So. Is that like quasi guilt that we feel? Because I, I wanted to like, is that? just that we haven't broken this stigma yet because we've experienced both? Or is it legitimately there's something superior about a physical object? Who knows? Yeah. I, um, something good to test. Exactly. We need to split up an A-B test. I on. know. Here we go. <laughs> Second question. Uh, for kids, especially having a five-month-old, yeah. um, are you easily derailed from that morning routine? If, you know, kids crying first thing and you're up early, does that throw you off or are you pretty good at, uh, at just letting that go? And I'm assuming that this ties into being grounded and being positive, but, uh, but what yeah. happens in the morning if, uh, if things aren't going perfect? Well, you know, part of the discipline that I've, I've tried to instill, um, in my wife, and, and encourage her in, um, and kids encourage them in is, is that, uh, just keeping, just keeping that time sacred. So there are certain things my kids can do in the mornings if they are wanting to get up. I give them three options. You can, you can go, um, make a piece of toast. Now, um, I don't want them making cereal. They, they make too big of a mess when they do cereal. <laughs> uh, they can, but they can go make a piece of toast for themselves, you know, butter and all that. Dave's killer bread. You can't beat it. Um, and then, you know, they can go play in their playroom and they can go watch an educational show. On, on, so they have those three options. And just kind of keeping it to that actually really helps a lot because they, they don't feel like they need to interrupt mommy and daddy. They can be focused on some, some positive things there if they, if they are wanting to get up. So. Nice. But, yeah. So that's that's kind of how we've we've dealt with it. Does it does it always work perfectly? Uh no, not always. Um but you know then that's that's opportunity to work on okay, you know, we got to we got to keep our systems in place here, so let's you know, let's talk about that, you know, let's correct that and let's try again, you know, kind of thing. So um it's never perfect. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, never perfect, but but direction is there. 
I like it. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Keith, um, really appreciate you coming on. All the all the notes and links and uh, tools that you mentioned, everything's going to be in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening, you can just go to doinbound.com slash podcast to grab those. Keith, appreciate your time and your friendship. Thanks for coming on yeah. today. Hey, good to talk with you again, Gray. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.